Welcome to the FML Podcast, the podcast on a mission to uncover actionable insights, explore the latest trends, and to catalyze your fintech's growth. Join Growth Gorilla's founder and managing director, Shamir Sajdev, and some of fintech's hardest-hitting marketers and leaders. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the FML podcast. Today we're joined by Harold Zukovs, uh, Head of Marketing at Credo.Lab. Um, Harold, thanks uh, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. A real pleasure to be here today. Let's start off at the beginning really. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you ended up at uh, Credo Lab? I have been like in marketing for some time now. It, it's almost a decade now. I have always worked with tech companies like from the beginning, but I started with social media and content. And from there on, I kind of fell in love with marketing. I started to go more deeper and became more generalized, not only working with content and social media, but with tools and more technical aspects of marketing and ads and more channels. I also quite quickly understood that I like working with quite... I would say complex products that are not easy to market and sell and that gives you a challenge. So I would say I love a good challenge and I say that's how I ended up in Credola because marketing products that are not maybe yet mainstream is uh, quite a good of a challenge. Before we jump in, could you tell us a little bit more about Credo Lab, what the product is and then I suppose also the, the relationship between kind of Credo Lab and the fintech space? We help risk fraud and marketing teams to take better decisions with advanced behavioral analytics based on smartphone and web metadata. And Credola realized early on, already like seven years ago, that behavioral data was predictive, like was very predictive for risk, even in the absence of credit bureau data. So the lack of data still is hindering the ability of banking and no bank, non-banking financial institutions to approve more customers and include more people into mainstream financial services. So CredoLab started from there. So the beginnings is helping to to better understand and, and help financial companies with the risk aspect. And then a few months ago, I would say, we enhanced and added new products for also for fraud and marketing. Obviously, Credit Lab's done really, really well over the last few years. Um, you've scaled quite sort of impressively from, from one country to, to 38 countries. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that journey? You know, how, how did you decide what countries to expand into? Did you tailor your marketing for each of the territories? You know, have you had any sort of regulatory issues that you've had to uh, tackle along the way? How we decided where to scale and where to go, it was basically based on the research of the regions and the countries where we gathered data and information based on various factors to find out and understand where our solution might be needed the most and where it would be most applicable for the clients, for the finance companies, for example, from, from a risk, risk perspective to use. So it was based on that. And at the beginning, we went with more like standardized approach in these regions and countries, and then moved more into localized approach for, for the regions. 
And then we, we basically relied on the local team knowledge because we had uh, sales teams in uh, regions and we relied on their help and understanding and knowledge about, uh, about uh, all of these factors, including the compliance. I want to take a moment and just touch upon um, the Credo Labs actual product before we sort of really jump into the marketing stuff. Talk to us at a, at a top level about the risk management product, you know, how it benefits fintechs and financial services companies in different territories, in different countries. For example, yeah, with the risk product, what you can do, you can assess every applicant's behavior based alternative risk scores. So it is a risk evaluation solution for credit risk management teams. And uh, all of the data and information is anonymous and permissioned and based on smartphone and web metadata. So basically, with that, you can assess risky applicants and their probability to, to, to default in real time by complementing your traditional data. So combining methods of traditional data and alternative data your risk team can make a better decision for every applicant you get. Looking at the features of Credo Labs product, I suspect that your product is somewhat very, very popular in those territories where obviously credit data and information is somewhat limited. You know, would that be the case? I would say that only in those territories it can help also in other territories. And uh, it helps you to tap in into audiences that maybe you wouldn't be able before. So, for example, to clients who might have uh, limited information, like a thin file on them or like no files. So it opens you additional audiences. Also, maybe in the countries where the credit data is there, but uh, there might be an audience that has a limited amount of it that also could and like uh, increase the, your ability to take the decision on that audience. Leaning into sort of the marketing piece now and, and, and really sort of focusing on that area, can you kind of talk to us a little bit about your, your perhaps your overarching marketing strategy, knowing that obviously you're running activity in quite a few countries and obviously your, your, your target customers are obviously on the B2B side, what does your marketing mix look like? You know, what's your general sort of approach to acquiring your customers? Well, we are using multiple channels and multiple ways of doing that. Uh, you know, you have to build a trust. You have to be present and you have to talk with the people online and offline. So our marketing mix includes PR, events, Classic approaches like ads combined with emails, also like trying other approaches that comes up uh, and, and into in, in the realm of marketing and also partnership marketing with our partners, where we try to do combined activities in the regions where they are based. So it's uh, really a multitude. Can you just sort of talk to me a little bit more about, I suppose, the nuances in, in in your sort of marketing activity from, you know, and how it differs from one territory to another? Mostly what differs from one region to another is um, 
what kind of um, messaging and language you bring out, not only talking about the actual language, is it English or Spanish or Portuguese, but also talking about what is your like value proposition and on what pain points you concentrate. Because as you mentioned, there are some regions where maybe the credit bureau data is more available, some regions where it's less available. So also that could influence uh, different company pain points that you need to target and you need to need to talk about like your value proposition, what you say you can do for them there. In terms of the competitive landscape, obviously the risk space at the moment, you know, within fintech is quite huge. There's obviously a lot of companies at the moment, you know, who have entered that space, who are entering that space. You know, what's kind of been Credo's approach to, you know, competing with the larger competitors in the space? When you have a larger competitor, also from my experience in my like history of doing marketing, where you usually are in disadvantage is the amount of resources. But where you are in advantage to a larger competitor, if they have a larger marketing team, in a lot of cases, it means that they might be moving slower. It's not always, but sometimes. And also, they sometimes neglect the channels that might be used for other things that you can find that you can use them for. For example, in uh, my past, in my career, when I worked with microwave radios in South Technica, what we did, like we were selling microwave radios to engineers. So we utilized Instagram channel to sell microwave radios, which like nobody else did. And how how you can find out which channels to utilize so that your competitors don't is basically to do a research on like five to ten top of your competitors and see which channels might be potential, but they aren't um, using them or the effort is lower than it could be. And you just need to find the right approach for that channel. And I remember for the, from that example that we started with Instagram and after some time of doing it, we started to receive like a couple of leads per month for the product, which is quite insane taking that. We only posted pictures of microwave radios in the nature. What's your approach to finding and utilizing and leveraging untapped channels, particularly within the B2B marketing space? Every time I start with it, the first thing I do, I always concentrate on the ICP, you need, you really need to understand the ideal customer profile. You need to understand to whom you want to market. And then you need to look at where these people are at. And then when you have that, of course, you can look at which channels you, you know better, which you don't, and what is the competition in those channels. So how much work do you need to put in to get a result? So then you can prepare a test campaign, or test like what you could do to achieve the result you want. Of course, before you venture into any kind of adventure like that, you should set up a goal to understand if you are reaching it or not, to understand if that channel works. But what sometimes we forget as marketers is also the aspect of statistical significance. So you can't make a decision too fast. You need to wait 
long enough to have enough data to make a decision. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that. I mean, we've only come across you know clients or prospects who want to conduct rapid testing in order to determine results. You know, whatever that may be. You know, is, is this the right ad? Is this the right product? Is this the right message? Sometimes there's more emphasis put on the number of tests conducted within a specific time time frame versus the statistical significance or the time it takes to reach statistical significance because it's all well and good doing you know 10 tests a week but if you're not reaching statistical significance on on any of them yeah is any of that data actually valid um and i suppose you can make assertions and you can get a feeling or you can see a direction but can you make high value decisions based upon an assertion as opposed to statistically significant data I mean, it'd be great. I mean, what, what, what sort of tests are you running at, uh, at Credo Lab? I'd love to hear more about that. It depends on what your resources are at that point and what you want to achieve with those tests. At Credo Lab, we concentrate on the value that we want to achieve and test things that, from my previous experience that I have had or from what I have researched, that I think might get us the value. But again, you need to look at like how many resources you need to put into that and what you could get out of it. So it's always evaluating if, if, if not only can you reach the statistical significance or even if doing this test is valuable enough for you or it might be valuable enough for you if you achieve the result you want. So you also need to try to kind of evaluate that as well. Before we run any tests or, or run uh, by any ideas that we want to do, we first think about that. Like, what is that that we want to achieve? And then think about the channels that might do us the thing that we want to do. I, I totally agree. We kind of always see it as, you know, when you're sort of, first launching your initial campaigns you you know you want to be looking for the levers that are going to really move the campaign and really turn the dials of the campaign you want you want to take actions that move the dial maybe 30 40 50 100 percent you know there's no point in in playing around with colors of call to action buttons you know on a on a landing page if you haven't nailed down what channels are driving the most traffic for you for example it's not a big enough lever to pull just think about sort of B2B marketing and something that we've been kind of playing around with and testing a lot has been advertising on LinkedIn. Is Credo leveraging, you know, platforms like LinkedIn for, for their activity? You know, what has been your best practice? What have, you know, what's been your learnings? Yeah, well, actually, LinkedIn has worked quite well. If you know how to leverage the channel and what to do there, it's actually quite easy to achieve fantastic results on, on LinkedIn from traffic lead generation perspective or branding perspective. If you have been in Google ads or Facebook ads, LinkedIn sometimes might feel counterintuitive because the things you can't do, for example, there you need to do on LinkedIn, you know, like adding Mm. the button into the ad, always having three to five versions of the ad and like following the data and like, What I have found basically the success in LinkedIn, like the biggest portion of the success in LinkedIn is how you technically set up the ads, not not only the ad itself 
or what you market, but you can get in front of the pack if you do the things that algorithm values. And then when you do those things, then the actual testing to improve the actual like copy visual begins then. Okay, can you tell me a little bit more about the technical part? You know, what, what is the, you know, what are the best practices there? Well, uh, what has worked the best is, uh, as I said, keep at least like three to five ads per campaign. Have a call to action button on the visual itself and also experiment with colors. Uh, experimenting with ad colors also can change the results quite quite significantly from the visual's perspective. And then also how you set up the campaign itself, you know. That's why the ICP is very important because actually how you set up the targeting and how big the audience is inside that targeting is also important and can change how the campaign performs. Like what I have seen right now from some of the research I have done, some advertisers have started, you know, to do ads with the actual posts, which they say increase the result. So with the visuals, yeah, that can work as well. But the technical part is very important. And uh, also, you know, you need to be there for the campaign, see how they perform and maybe improve or change something. Mostly what you need to do is exclude the things you don't want campaign to target because excluding things for LinkedIn can also improve uh, like the quality, at least what I have found from my experience. Another thing is the campaign build. I have tried like I think in the past year, two or three different campaign builds like campaign setups and each of them had some upsides and downsides. You know, if you have a smaller budget, then you need to be more vicious with the campaigns. If you have a larger budget, you can go with a pretty simple build. And just by increasing the budget, you will increase the amount of the results you get from it. And then there is one interesting thing also that I have noticed with the campaigns that you also have to look at the frequency because there are some points at the frequency per user where the results drop and then they again raise. So you also need to need to follow that. What about sizes of the audiences on, on LinkedIn? You hear sort of differing views. I think LinkedIn themselves suggests, you know, you should have an audience size of at least 50,000. But you know, if you're targeting senior decision makers across, you know, a couple of hundred enterprise level prospects, you know, you might only have a database of six, seven, eight thousand people. What's your opinion on that? You should have audience between fifty to two hundred k, and then they perform the best. The closer to two hundred k, the better results I have seen. The smaller the audience, actually, maybe the more personalized you can go, but you will go through whole audience a lot quicker than you would go through a larger audience. So that can come with different things. Like you maybe need to change ads more like you, like, you know, because in LinkedIn audience might get tired of the ads and you need to exchange the visuals or the packaging or something like that and add something new. So something they can look at again, when you have a larger audience, you reach that uh, 
part a lot later in the ads game. When you have a smaller one, yeah, it can just exhaust the audience a lot quicker. You could be that you are paying more, but again, it depends on how large is the deal that we are talking about if you target the decision makers that you want to target. But what I would say, if your audience is too small, maybe it is worth to add the whole set of the job titles that are involved into making this decision to cover them all. So to be sure when they go through the chain that everyone at least knows who the person who wants to buy your product is talking about. So there are like different kinds of solutions how you could increase the audience. Yeah, LinkedIn's uh, an interesting uh, platform. When you get it working, it's an absolute goldmine for B2B businesses, but you know, at their cost per clicks, you can burn through a lot of money very quickly just trying to get traction, really. Um, we've also found things like um, running more brand uh, and awareness campaigns um, for a while with an audience and then following up with like a lead form results in really good conversions on lead forms. You know, we're testing out different ad formats now. We've got a test. I don't, I don't want to mention what the test is, but we've got a test lined up that we want to run. Um, they've got quite high hopes for very different, but I think it will stand out on, on a platform like, like LinkedIn, because frankly, I, I think most of the content on, on LinkedIn and, uh, the ads anyway are, are quite boring. So, you know, as we kind of wrap up, just want to touch on content marketing a little bit. What's been working for Credo Lab? You know, what have you found to be most effective? Uh, from a content marketing perspective, I think what works the best are the longer form of contents, ebook, but also social media, like LinkedIn organic as well. Like, you know, with the content, it's important to utilize as many channel, as many channels as possible. Like, you know, social, email, ebooks, website, blogs, as much as you can, and, and then see what works, what doesn't work. You can go also with different other ways, with videos on different channels. But for us, what we have found that works the best is educating people on the themes that we want them to understand and want them to see what is the value behind that. What's next for Credo now? What, what, what does the next sort of 12 to 18 months look like? We will continuously working on improving our new product offerings and of course trying to to go into new markets and see how it goes um, before i let you go i'll run you through our quick fire round what podcasts are you listening to at the moment or would you recommend um at the moment i'm listening fintech insider podcast by 11fs i would recommend that one and b2b content show so those those two are Amazing. my top favorites at the moment What's your favorite fintech app? You know, what's your go-to fintech app on your uh, on your on your smartphone? At the moment, I guess it's the Starling Bank. Like you know, started using it, fell in love from the first day. Starling's my favorite, actually. To be honest, I, I use it for our business banking. Um, I, I think they're doing a great job. And uh, you know, what what books are you currently reading, or or, or would you recommend? Well, I'm currently reading like. Michael Jordan, The Life, because I played a lot of basketball in my days. So I'm quite into that book right now. And my last question, probably my favorite question, what's one question that I haven't asked you that I, I perhaps should have asked you? 
you didn't ask me about the marketing segmentation product that we have in Credola and why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Uh, so yeah, we have a marketing segmentation product built here in uh, Credola. That's one of the new solutions that we have launched. It's to optimize the results of your marketing strategies with behavioral insights. And like we have applied an established behavioral psychology framework called the Big Five Personality Types of Our Ocean to smartphone metadata. So we hired a behavioral psychologist and gave him one million data sets to play with. And these were all anonymized data sets without any personal data or personality identifiable information. And he identified characteristics in smartphone usage that were all in common with certain personality types. So for example, if you charge your phone at night, you tend to be more organized than someone who lets the battery die during the day. Or if you have the brightness of the screen above 50%, you tend to be more extroverted than somebody who doesn't. You can leverage these to make better decisions or to target your audiences better. While you were talking, I just checked my phone. I'm at exactly 50% brightness, so I am neither extrovert nor introvert, which is probably about right, but I do charge my phone at night. Harold, thank you very much for joining us today. Been a been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you as well for having me. The FML podcast is brought to you by Growth Gorilla. To find out how our marketing growth experts can boost your fintech growth, head to growthgorilla.co.uk. And make sure to search for the FML podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Growth Gorilla, thanks for listening.